Let's turn now to Sons of Thunder of Mark, the third chapter. The 17th verse. I'll begin with verse 12, and he ordained, verse 14 it is, and he ordained 12, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sickness, and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. And from the other references that we have to thunder in the New Testament, it means the ordinary clap of thunder that you hear when lightning appears, and then you wait a minute and you get a sound. We call it thunder. When the Lord spoke to our Savior out of the heaven, they heard a voice, and our Savior recognized it as the voice of God. Those who stood by said it sounded as though it thundered. There was a clap, there was a noise, a roar that comes with thunder. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, were... Two of the disciples whom he'd called that he might send them forth to preach. And the thunder was connected with their preaching. Isn't that beautiful to realize that our Savior just took 12 men. One of them turned out to be a Judas and then he added another. But 12 men is all he needed to start the great movement of the Christian church for the New Testament. Twelve men. And when you take the whole New Testament, all the books from Matthew through to Revelation, only eight men wrote them. Just eight men. And the Christian movement and the testimony that we have to Jesus Christ was not dependent upon very many men. Just a little handful. But the thing that gave them thunder was the Holy Ghost who accompanied the preaching of the gospel. And they went out denouncing sin and iniquity and they caused all manner of opposition to be heaped against them. And the whole New Testament is filled with the tremendous opposition that was stirred against the disciples and when they saw these disciples, they saw their boldness, they saw their forthrightness, they saw their claps of thunder, they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. And if there was anyone on the face of this earth that really used strong language, it was Jesus Christ. And he said to the religious leaders of his day, they were hypocrites. He called them blind guides. He said, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? There was no let up in the force and the directness of the ministry and the denunciation of sin on the part of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. 
And beloved, it has always been the pulpits. It's always been the preachers. It's always been the men who were called of God to speak out against the iniquity and to exhort the people who've been called the sons of thunder. And thunder has a way of startling you. Thunder has a way of stopping you. Thunder has a way of waking you from your sleep. And you said, oh, it must have thundered. And the purpose of a ministry of this kind, as it was given to the disciples of our Lord, was to speak to the people and to turn them from their wicked ways. To speak to the people and to turn them from deception and from misrepresentation and from all manner of evil. That they might walk in the straight and the narrow path that leadeth unto life. And the purpose of the ministry has always been to bring before the people the message of God and then let the Holy Spirit bring the fruit and reap the harvest. That has always been it. Now tonight, since I'm going into this question of the Methodist Sunday School publication and what they have to say about the American Council about me, I thought it would be of interest to just say a word or two about John Wesley, the great founder of Methodism. John Wesley was an Episcopalian in England. He had the very finest of education and training that could have been attained. He lived a span of about 88 years. He was born in 1703, and he died in 1791. A long life for those days. But it is said that no man had the energy or preached any more sermons than John Wesley. He averaged 5,000 miles a year in his travels, and it is said that he preached at least 15 times every week. The man was a man of tremendous power, tremendous strength, and associated with him closely, of course, was George Whitfield. And Wesley came to this country. Whitfield also came to this country. But over in the old country, this man, Wesley, was spoken to by the Spirit of God, and Wesley believed the Bible. On January the 1st, 1733, he preached a sermon on the circumcision of the heart. The circumcision of the heart. The cutting of the sin out of the heart. And later in 1765, he said that that sermon contains all that I now teach concerning salvation from all sin and loving God with an undivided heart. It was on May the 24th, 1738, that Wesley had the experience which they called the warming of the heart. It was 8.45 in the evening at Aldersgate there in London. And he said, I feel that I did trust in Christ alone. I felt my heart strangely warmed. And from the preaching of this man, the Anglican church closed their doors to him. And though Wesley did not want to leave the Episcopal Church, though he sought to stay in the Episcopal Church, it was necessary for him to obtain an independent ordination outside of the Episcopal Church. And when he was excluded from the Episcopal Church and the doors of the churches were closed to him, he was not permitted to preach in the Episcopal Churches. Then it was that Wesley went to the town squares and Wesley went out into the fields of England 
and he and George Whitfield were instrumental in bringing the great evangelical revival which saved England from revolution. There was a mighty revival under the preaching of this man, a Wesley. Moreover, Wesley did come to the United States, and he was in the southern part of the United States, in Georgia, and in Savannah, and he was influenced mightily by the Moravians, with whom he was in close association. And I think it's very significant that today, down in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, in that area of North Carolina, where the Moravians came and developed their pioneer work, that one of their leaders, one of the finest Moravian leaders that they have, trained, educated, recognized, preached his last sermon today in the Emmanuel Moravian Church in Winston-Salem, and he's called upon the Moravians to join with him. And next Sunday, they will meet for the first time under the banner of the Bible Moravian Church with the purpose of preserving the testimony of John Huss from Czechoslovakia and Count Zinzendorf who came to this country to preserve this great faith of the Moravians. And here's Wesley, and here are the Moravians, and now we have the first major break in the Moravian church over this question of the apostasy and the Moravians going into the great ecumenical movement. And while this is taking place, and we go back and think 200 years ago, God raised up a John Wesley, and John Wesley had his heart strangely warmed. And he went out into an apostasy, a dead church, a cold church, and he preached the gospel and his entire emphasis, beloved, the entire emphasis of John Wesley was that men had to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. They had to be saved and sanctified by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it's that that pioneered the Methodist movement in this country and made it one of the great forces in developing the United States of America into a great land that's made of free men. But that day has gone. That day has passed. And the Methodist Church, subject to all these liberal influences that have afflicted our various Protestant churches, has now become one of the most liberal of all the churches. And it has now become one of the outstanding leaders, not only of the ecumenical movement in Protestant circles, but under the leadership of Bishop Corson of the Philadelphia area, the Methodists are now being led back to the Roman Catholic Church. And we are witnessing a change and an adjustment in the Methodist movement that poor John Wesley would never, never have sanctioned for any fraction of a moment. Now, beloved, the Methodists publish their own Sunday school literature, and all you need to do is to read any church's literature, and you'll find out what the church proposes to do with its young people and with the program that it has to offer. And you cannot imagine my own consternation when the Methodist lesson for February came and we saw it. And on February the 12th, they have this lesson, Thunder on the Right. Thunder on the Right. The only good thing that I can recognize about it as I read it is that they've at least called it Thunder. They've at least called it Thunder. 
They know that somebody's speaking, somebody's saying something, somebody's out crying aloud, somebody's speaking to the people of the churches in this land. They call it thunder. I don't object to their calling it thunder myself, but they say it's thunder on the right. And when they add the right and then proceed to describe what they mean by it, and then proceed to use our movement, the American Council of Christian Churches, as their exhibit. And then they proceed to use me in particular as the individual with whom they're going to deal. Then, beloved, it's time for everybody to sit up and say, wait a minute, what is the Methodist Church doing now? Briefly, they are seeking to discredit the testimony that we have to the blood of Christ, to the word of God. And they're seeking to discredit this testimony to the purity of the gospel in order that Methodist people will be ready and willing to make the adjustments and to move along the great wide current of our day into this great ecumenical church. And among the forces upon the face of the earth that are resisting this is, of course, our American Council of Christian Churches and the ministry that we've had. Now I read to you tonight from the seventh psalm, and will you turn please to the seventh psalm for just a moment? Because all that I want to do in relation to this message is to relate it to the scriptures. And in this seventh psalm, David is confronted with the fact that he himself has been under terrific assault. He's been under attack. And he says in verse 3, Lord, if I have done this, if I'm guilty of what they say about me, Lord, then you deal with me. And I want to say tonight that if I've done what these Methodists say I've done, then I want the Lord to deal with me. If I've done what they say I've done, I'm going to read it to you. And then we move on down a little further. Verse 8, the Lord shall judge his people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, you're going to judge your people. And they're making these accusations. They're bringing forward these things to try to discredit us. And Lord, search me and judge me. And then the psalmist goes on and he says, that same Lord who searches me is going to judge the people. And he's going to judge the Methodist church. Now we move on just a little further. And in verse 10 he says, my defense is of God which saveth the upright in heart. My defense is of God. I have no hesitancy in bringing this matter into my pulpit. In fact, I have an obligation to do so. Furthermore, I have no hesitancy in taking every single thing that they have said about us in this article and reproducing it entirely so that the people can see what has been said by the Methodist Church in their Sunday school literature concerning our movement and concerning your pastor. And I have no hesitancy then in taking what they've said on the basis of what we have said and done and what we're seeking to do and to give a point-by-point -point reply in order that we may really get at the truth of what is involved. Now, what I have proposed to do, beloved, is simply this. 
in the vestibule of our church is my reply. It's in an eight-page tabloid-sized piece of paper here. Thunder on the right, and I've called it Sons of Thunder. McIntyre teaches Sunday school lessons. And I have prepared these with a sermon by John Wesley on corrupting the Word of God. With the entire lesson on thunder on the right photographically reproduced. Then the second lesson on danger on the left photographically reproduced. And then a complete and careful analysis and reply. God in his providence has given us enough time so that this can be taken now and put in the hands of Methodists all over this country. And when they have the lesson on February the 12th, and they go into the adult series to study the lesson, this will be available to be presented or to be discussed. And Dr. McIntyre will have given a reply to these things that have been made about him. I had a beautiful letter that came in this week from a lawyer down in Washington, D.C., he said he heard me on Thursday. It was the Monday broadcast. He thanked me so graciously for the way in which I handled it on the broadcast. And he said, Dr. McIntyre, I wished that in my public discourse I could handle my material in the way in which you have. And then he proceeded to say the one thing that I wanted to get across to you people tonight. He said, these Methodists are seeking to build an earthly kingdom. These Methodists are moving now in their social action programs, in their changing of our social society to build an earthly power. And he said, Jesus Christ turned down that temptation when Satan offered him the kingdoms of this world. And Satan said if the Savior would bow down to him, he would give him all the kingdoms of this world. And our Savior repudiated and rejected any such materialistic concept of his kingdom or of his work. And that lawyer was absolutely right. And that which Christ rejected, which Satan was able to give him, our churches are now moving in to accept it. And they're turning now to build a great world society, a world state. And when they get it, they'll have what Satan offered our Savior and which he turned down. That lawyer saw the point. Now when you turn to this particular lesson, they have an outline. The purpose of the lesson is to understand the nature and the seriousness of the threat posed by right-wing extremism. Right-wing extremism. And they have simply moved into the political conflict of the day in which the liberals have used the terminology right-wing extremism to direct at Senator Barry Goldwater and other political leaders with a desire to discredit them in the public mind. You have here in this same statement the seriousness of the threat posed by right-wing extremism 
identically, ladies and gentlemen, the same thing and the same approach that was in Resolution 160 adopted by the House of Representatives of the state of Pennsylvania and erected at Dr. McIntyre. And this extremism that they spoke of was dangerous to the country. And now, from the political arena and the conflict that you get out in this area, the Methodist Church have introduced the same identical line into their Sunday school literature and their Sunday school publication. And this is designed to discredit the conservative political interests in the community or in the church and to move the Methodist Church more and more over onto the liberal side and the liberal element in the political discussion of our country at the present time. And they are moving in here now, seeking to discredit Dr. McIntyre and associate him in the public mind with all this that has been denounced as extremism, the Ku Klux Klan and the Communist Party and these other things that are in that area of operation. Now they have a little outline here, but they come down and in the introduction they say, the organization we shall use for analysis is the American Council of Christian Churches. They're going to analyze this. We are connected with the American Council, beloved. Our church has been in it from the beginning. And so when they come along to set up the American Council of Christian Churches as the example of this right-wing extremism, that means you. That includes you. And they're seeking now in the Methodist churches to mind and to turn the attention of the people of that church against you and the things that we're standing for and speaking in behalf of in the Christian world today. After they say the American Council was organized in 1941 by two splinter groups, the Bible Presbyterian and the Bible Protestants, in New York City. They are right in that matter. And then they come down and say, McIntyre, a former minister of the Presbyterian Church, was expelled from the church in 1936. What I'd like to have had them say that John Wesley was expelled from the Episcopal Church, too, back there in about 1736. They ought to put that in there to the parallels that are developing because the history of our period now at this part it's very, very similar to what they were having back there in Wesley's day. And then they move in to where they begin to make their accusations. And may I read you from some of these accusations that they have. They say the American Council and these right-wing extremists make rash and unsubstantiated charges rash and unsubstantiated charges. Consequently, Dr. McIntyre and those associated with him are very irresponsible individuals. They're very rash. They're making charges on every hand here. And uh, now may I read you what they have. Three points. I'll give you all of this. At least we can give you the substance of this. First paragraph, the literature of the American Council of Christian Churches and of Dr. McIntyre's papers and pamphlets are replete. That is, they have many of them. Replete means many. With examples of this characteristic of extremism. This is the characteristic. Rash 
and irresponsible charges. Now our literature is replete. There's all kinds of examples in our pamphlets of this characteristic of extremism that they're setting before the Sunday school. McIntyre has charged repeatedly that the National Council of Churches is full of communists. Well, beloved, you're a witness to my ministry, all of you. To have a, something full is a pretty serious thing. You got a glass full of milk, there's a lot of milk in it. You got a... Uh, well, anything full means to be pretty well uh, occupied. McIntyre is charged repeatedly that the National Council of Churches is full of communists. Well, have I been doing that? Of course I have. In fact, I don't know how many communists are in there. The Communist Party probably knows. J. Edgar Hoover says there's some, but nobody knows how many. And I have made it a point to get into that area, particularly in our great struggle and all that we've been doing. We've been dealing with the ideas. and We've been dealing with the men from Moscow. They've come over here and we showed how the National Council gave a platform to the men from Moscow. And beloved, I want to say to you people right this very moment, that when the Methodist Church in its Sunday school literature says that I, in my publications, in the things that I have written, have charged repeatedly that the National Council is full of communists, that they're the ones that are guilty of being rash and irresponsible, not Dr. McIntyre. I want you to see. And in this seventh psalm, it's very interesting in verse 16, his mischief shall return upon his own head. The very thing that he's accused us of doing comes right around and it comes right back on their own head. And furthermore, if I have in all my literature and all the writings and all the books, if I'm guilty of this, and there are many, many illustrations of it, why don't they bring forth at least one of them and let us see it? They don't offer even one illustration of what they're talking about, not one. Frankly, they can't offer it because I don't think they can find it. I just don't think it exists. Now look at the next paragraph. McIntyre has actually developed a rather complex investigative structure for the purpose of ferreting out and exposing every clergyman who shows any tendency toward liberalism. Well, beloved, there are about 250,000 clergymen in the United States. And if I had some kind of a organization, if I had some kind of, a, of a, an investigative structure for the purpose of ferreting out 250,000 clergymen, I really would have an organization. But unfortunately, I don't have it. But I must tell you very frankly, I wished I did have it. There wouldn't be anything wrong with some kind of an organization that would open this whole thing up to the whole Christian public as to how these clergymen are turning away from the Bible as the word of God. And the people of the churches ought to be warned against these ministers who have turned away from the Bible as the word of God. And some minister in the country ought to be able to do it, but unfortunately I don't have such an investigative structure as they say we have. But notice... This personnel, personal intelligence organization, think of it, a personal intelligence organization, is directed by Clyde Kennedy and W.H. Garman. 
Now, beloved, this ought to set the mentalists back. I don't know what they're going to say about this, but whoever wrote this apparently doesn't know what's going on, hasn't kept very good touch with us because Clyde Kennedy, you all know him and you all loved him, and we thank God for him. He was president of Shelton College, but Clyde Kennedy left this old world on September the 22nd, 1962. He's dead. And could you kindly tell me how a dead man could be in charge of my personal intelligence organization? But this is in the Sunday School publication, and in God's providence, when they got into this area to talk about rash and unsubstantiated questions, God saw to it that they put such absurd statements as these in their Sunday School publications. How in the world could these Methodists ever take a man who's been dead four years and tell our Sunday School people that he's head of my personal intelligence investigative structure that's dealing with all the clergymen of the country and finding those who have departed from the faith. Frankly, beloved, I say to you tonight, God Almighty has just left these Methodists. They've just opened them up wide. And so far as anybody being rash and unsubstantiated, first I want to tell you, they're rather rash and they're rather unsubstantiated when they say that Clyde Kennedy's taking care of my intelligence operation. Taking care of my intelligence operation. I think I should go one step further, though, when you study these things and you look at them. Perhaps I should have left this out tonight and just let them think that I still have some powerful organization studying them all out. Apparently, they think we have more power and more influence than we really have. I should probably just left this one alone and just skipped it over, and they'd still be afraid of McIntyre's powerful investigative operation. Beloved, you know the investigative operation that you and I are concerned about? We're concerned about the Holy Ghost, and our Savior says there's nothing covered that shall not, nothing hidden that shall not be uncovered. And in God's good providence and God's own time, these things are brought out so that God's people can see them and God's people will know that that's not for me. I'm going to stay by the word and by the churches that preach the word and by those that have this message of everlasting life to give to us. The third point of this section here that deals with rash and unsubstantiated statements is also a very interesting one. May I read you this one? It uh, has to do with <clears throat> during the past 30 years, McIntyre has consistently attacked with great inaccuracy persons associated with and aspects of such wide subjects as the National Council of Churches, the Roman Catholic Church, the Revised Standard Version of the Bible, the World Council of Churches, the United Nations, and then it goes on with some others. In 30 years, beloved, they allege that I have consistently, consistently attacked with great inaccuracy. Now, if I've been guilty of so much consistency, and if I've been guilty of so much inaccuracy, don't you think they could at least bring one little tiny bit of it forward and put it down here so we could see it? There's not one single bit, one single reference 
of any kind in this statement to the inaccurate. It's just an accusation that stands unsupported. Unsupported. There's no question, beloved, but what I have talked about the Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Everybody knows that I have. But the little pamphlet that I put out on the Revised Standard Version of the Bible has been circulated by the hundreds of thousands and everything in it is a quotation and it's documented and you can't point out one error, one part of that pamphlet of mine that is in any sense inaccurate. I went over it again yesterday just to check it out for sure. Every statement in my analysis of the Revised Standard Version of the Bible is absolutely beyond challenge. And because of our statement, and because of our accuracy, and because of what we've done in getting that information across this country, and getting it into the hands of people in various sections of the world, men have believed that the Revised Standard Version of the Bible was the product of the National Council of Churches with its purpose to unsettle the mind of people as to the accuracy of the Bible. And that's what it did left the virgin birth out of Isaiah 7 14 introduced these contradictions now beloved when they come to rash and unsubstantiated statements three points and the only three points they make and in each one of these three points the rash part of it and the unsubstantiated part of it is not on the part of Dr. McIntyre it's on the part of the Methodist Sunday School publication each time When they come down to the end of this lesson, they say, why do some Methodists believe in Carl McIntyre more than they do in the elected leaders of their own church, the General Conference? Somebody called me up on the radio this morning and said they had 800 members in their last session of the General Conference. Well, if they did, then is Dr. McIntyre opposed to their 800 elected officials of their General Conference of the Methodist Church? Beloved, may I say to you people tonight, that is one of the glories of the history of the Christian church. Down through the centuries that time and time again the little minority has been right and the great majority have been wrong. That's the story of church history. And we've reached a day now when the great Methodist church with all of its multiplied millions and millions of dollars and its wealth and its glorious power puts out a Sunday school publication and it's going to be studied by thousands. But the things they say in that Sunday school publication about Dr. McIntyre being rash and irresponsible are themselves rash and irresponsible. And there may be 10 million people believing it. But I'm still one man to set up and say it's rash, it's irresponsible, it isn't true, and what they said can't be substantiated, and it can't. And what I want you people to believe tonight, and what I want every one of you to believe tonight, that you by yourself have to make up your mind in your own heart what is true before God, and then act on it. And please, please don't believe it because 10 million people say it's true. Please, please don't believe it because some Sunday school publication that has 10 million members in the denomination believes it and preaches it. Please, please take your soul, take your mind, take the facts, and and then before God decide what the truth is and then stand up for it as a free man and God bless you. That's why the Methodists were originally Methodist. 
And that's why we Protestants have all been Protestants. Every man has to make up his own mind before God because of this text that I give you tonight. It tells you that God is to be our judge. All right, now I've taken the three examples that they have. They're just the three of them. Well, over here on the resource materials, they offer Operation Abolition, which is the House Committee on Un-American Activities, 16 millimeter, 45-minute film. They offer it, you can get it for $5.75, quote, strong example of right-wing propaganda, end of quote. The House Committee on Un-American Activities, ladies and gentlemen, produced this film of the San Francisco riots. It's their film. It's their evidence. They produced it to present it to the Congress of the United States. And here's the reference to it, and when they identify it, they say it's strong right-wing propaganda, and that's telling you that the House Committee on Un-American Activities of the House of Representatives of the Congress of the United States has produced right-wing propaganda. I'd like to take time, I'm not going to do it of course, and check out and see how many Methodists were on that committee. How many Methodists in Congress were on the committee that produced this strong right-wing propaganda that they're telling the people about here at this place. All right, now they go on. I'll take up two other subjects with you because I just want you to see how this thing operates. As I said the other day, beloved, if I had been given the job to try to pick Dr. McIntyre to pieces, I could have done a better job than they've done. I'm human, I'm frail, I'm weak, I have troubles, I make mistakes, and if anybody wants to follow me close enough, they can pick them out. We're all that way. And you can take things that anybody does and twist them around, but I could tell the Methodists that I could do a much better job than they've done. At least I wouldn't tell them that Clyde Kennedy's been dead four years. Now they get into this field of communism, and that's where the issue is, beloved. That's our problem right now. Are the churches going to stand in the great battle against communism? Or are they going to use their influences to weaken the United States, discredit the men who are against communism, and bring about this adjustment and realignment and this acceptance of the communist world? And that's the issue here. I belong to that company of believers on the face of the earth that with all my heart I am persuaded that communism is a deadly enemy of the Christian religion. I am persuaded that it is a deadly enemy of our capitalistic society. I am persuaded that communism is out to destroy us. I'm thoroughly persuaded of it in my own mind. And because as I see it and I recognize it, it is my duty as a Christian minister, as a man who stands for what Christianity represents, to speak out on these matters and to seek to alert and to inform the Christians of the land as to the nature of the enemy we face. Well, now, anti-communism policy of right-wing extremes. The right-wing extremists not only are anti-communists but profess to see extensive communist influences in vast areas of our national life. And the answer to that is right. 
No doubt about it. No doubt whatsoever about it. There is extensive communist influence in broad areas of our national life. J. Edgar Hoover, I quoted him here in this uh, uh, lesson, and it's on the first page that we have here. May I just read this to you? On March the 6th, 1961, Mr. Hoover appeared before the subcommittee of the Committee on Appropriations, House of Representatives, 87th Congress, and reported, quote, Some 200 known or suspected communist fronts and communist infiltrated organizations are now under investigation by the FBI. 200 known, he says. Many of these fronts are national in scope with chapters in various cities throughout the United States. They represent transmission belts through which the Communist Party furthers its conspiratorial designs. Who's saying this? J. Edgar Hoover, the chief of the FBI. They represent, he says, transmission belts through which the Communist Party furthers its conspiratorial designs. They have infiltrated every conceivable sphere of activity. Who is saying that? J. Edgar Hoover. They have infiltrated every conceivable sphere of activity. Youth groups, radio, television, and motion picture industries. Church, here he says the church has been infiltrated by them. School, educational and cultural groups. The press, national minority groups, and civil and political units, end of quote. And when the Methodist Sunday School publication comes out and says the right-wing extremists not only are anti-communist but profess to see extensive communist influence in vast areas of our national life, J. Edgar Hoover produces the statements that supports that very charge. Certainly the ACC exhibits this characteristic, and there is no doubt about it, and I want the whole Christian world to know that the American Council of Christian Churches exhibits the characteristic of being against communism and seeking to warn the Christian people of this country against what communism is doing throughout the world and what is it done, what it has done to persecute our brethren in their countries and what it is doing to deny the existence of a God. I wish it could be said tonight that the Methodist Church I wished it could be said tonight that this great church with 10 million members exhibited the same characteristics that we exhibit in this area of dealing with this enemy of our freedom, of our country, of our society, of our churches, this great enemy which is before us tonight and in whose engagement in Vietnam our boys are dying in battle tonight. I have no hesitancy in standing in this pulpit and saying that every single church that bears the name Christian should stand against all the evil that communism represents. Oh, can I make it clear? Let's be a son of thunder. Now we'll go on with this. What is distinctive? Is the excessive and careless identification of communism with everything with which they disagree. So 
So everything with which we disagree, we identify with communism. A little later they amplify it. It is clear that for the American Council and McIntyre, the term communism has no concrete or useful meaning. It is merely a form of profanity directed at all who disagree with the ACC and its program. Now, beloved, did you hear that? Let me read that to you. Let me just read it again. Surely there's some Methodists got enough sense to read that and know it's not right. <laughs> Surely there are a few Methodists left in the country that will read this thing and say, well, that's not right. It is clear that the ACC and McIntyre, for the ACC and McIntyre, the term communism has no concrete or useful meaning. It is merely a form of profanity directed at all who disagree with the ACC and its program. So if you disagree with our program, you come around me and I'm going to profane you by calling you a communist. There it is. It's a form of profanity. That's all it is. The word has no concrete or useful meaning. If anybody's ever listened to me on our broadcast across this country as we've dealt with these issues, I have been so concrete and so specific. And I've explained time and time again that communism was a system for the ordering of society in which all the properties and all the means of production were taken out of private hands and put in public hands. And that communism was an atheistic, materialistic, totalitarian state which enslaves the mind and the body of man and makes man the tool and the servant of the state. That's concrete. That's concrete. And that's what it is. Well, they come on down. I'm going to give you two other things. One, they say, attacks on the United Nations. This characteristic also has been documented in the discussion above. Attacks upon the UN. This characteristic also has been documented in the discussions above. Now, ladies and gentlemen, these Methodists and I don't have the same idea of documentation. I read back, read back over the article, and this is what they say. During the last 30 years, McIntyre's consistently attacked with great inaccuracies, and then it mentions the United Nations. Just mentions it. Down here again, they say that uh, uh, the United Nations is a favorite and frequent target of McIntyre. McIntyre condemns all United Nations activities. Now, beloved, that's their documentation. They make declarations themselves with no evidence, no citations, no examples. They just make statements, statements, right out of the blue. And then they say, attacks on you and this characteristic also has been documented in the discussions above. No documentation of any kind. Documentation, beloved, is that when a statement is made, you cite the evidence, the material, the facts that support that documentation. And I want to tell you something tonight, beloved, about our ministry in these areas. And those who worked around me and worked close to me know it's true. I don't get into these matters unless I have original documentation. 
Don't take second-hand material. Get the original documentation. And that's why I can stand on that microphone with Amen Charlie every day, and I'll take material which is beyond dispute. Nobody can say this doesn't exist. Nobody can say they don't do that. So last week I discussed their evidence. And when you have evidence and a situation is true, then you have an obligation to stand up and expose it. And that's what we've done. And you can't do anything about it if it's true. Do you know, beloved, the greatest defense in any conflict is the truth. And if you ever call into court, the greatest defense in any court, the truth. That's all. Now when you come down to the end of this Sunday school lesson, they bring in a whole area here that I want to talk about for just a moment. We've been anticipating this and we've been expecting it. But now it's come. It's a very important part. You know, you don't have any trouble convincing people the National Council of Churches is not right. That, that's easy. Just quote their pronouncements on Red China. And just quote their pronouncement on... Uh, uh, the uh, housing programs and just quote their statements about the Bible. They don't want it in the public schools and to be read and prayer made, you know, and you just quote these. You have no problem. That's easy. But wait a minute. There's an area here of evangelicals and other groups that uh, they don't want to take the separate stand. They want to engage in the great battle. But they call themselves evangelicals. And they were organized years ago after we got started, the American Council. They call themselves the National Association of Evangelicals. And they said, now, let's not be quite so harsh. Let's not say that you can't be in this and be in that. The American Council says you can't be in the apostate churches and be in our churches. And you can't be in the National Council and be in our council. You've got to draw that line. It's there in the Bible. They say you can be in both. Be in that one if you want to. Be in this one if you want to. And we'll have dual membership and we'll take a soft attitude. And we said years ago, beloved, that as time moved on, the line would be clear that these gentlemen who took the middle position actually were over on the other side because our Savior said, he who's not with me is against me. He's always said it and it's true. Now what do they do? The Methodist Church comes along and it offers the National Association of Evangelicals as the respected and generally acknowledged leaders of fundamentalism. Respected by whom? Acknowledged by whom? By them. No, we're not respected. <laughs> you can understand that. <laughs> We're not acknowledged. You can understand that. Oh, beloved, you Methodists listening to Carl McIntyre tonight, wherever you are on this radio program, if you're tuning me in, I want to say to you people, I'm only interested in being acknowledged and respected by the Spirit of God. I'm only interested in being acknowledged by the great judge of this universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And when we stand as we've stood in these last days in our century and in our hour for the truth of the gospel and for a testimony that's clean and separate, they don't acknowledge this. Of course not. Because to acknowledge this position will involve some kind of reflections against their inclusivism and their broad approach to these things which denies these great fundamental doctrines of the faith. And so they come along and they bring J. Elwin Wright by name. They bring Harold Ockingay by name. They bring Billy Graham by name and these are the respected men and if you want to be fundamentalist listen to these men don't listen to Dr. McIntyre and don't listen to the American Council of Christian Churches but you know these Methodists they must be awfully dumb they must be awfully dumb didn't they have any idea if they put a lesson in here on me that I'd be talking about it for a week on the radio didn't they have any idea if they put an article like this in here and got Clyde Kennedy dead for four years and still had him head of my department on investigation? Don't you think that, that don't you think something would happen? And beloved, that is the way the turn of history has always been. These men come thinking that somehow or other they're going to be able to discredit and then you just stand right up to it. Beloved, I tell you people, I stand here in this pulpit tonight and I can turn to this seventh psalm, this blessed seventh psalm, and I can say to the Lord, Lord, we've walked in our integrity. We've made mistakes. We're weak. We're frail. But ladies and gentlemen, we've got our clean record. And we can stand this kind of an attack. Some men can't stand it. Some groups can't take it. We can stand it. And we can take it. And the more they engage in it, the more literature, the more facts, the more information, the more people are going to see what's happening in the religious life of our country. And people will turn and say, well, as for me and my house, we're not going to be in the Methodist church any longer. As for me and my house, we're going to stand with the separated groups in this country. As for me and my house, we're going to help preserve the faith of our Father. We had a lady in this church this morning and her two sons and her husband. First time they've ever walked the door of this church. She says, Dr. McIntyre, we live over here in Derby. We've been listening to you for years. And we believe that you're doing the right thing. And we are finished. We are finished. And I want to say tonight that there are all kinds of people through this area that are now listening to us, that never listened to us before. And one reason they want radio station WXUR put off the air is that these ecclesiastical leaders in this area are afraid too many people are going to listen to Dr. McIntyre as he brings material of this kind out. And when they come and attack us in the Methodist church and devote a Sunday school lesson to us, and we come back with the facts and we come back with the answers, we say don't listen to the Methodist church. Don't listen to the the fundamentalists who stay stay in the apostasy we say you listen to the word of God you listen to the judge of all the earth and I say to you people tonight when a great church in the succession of John Wesley comes around and gets to the place where it is tonight that it will devote Sunday school lessons to attacking a fundamental Bible believing evangelical church such as the American Council and its fellowship and then attack Dr. Carl McIntyre and the way in which they've done they have a lot to answer before the living and the true God yesterday our presbytery met here and they passed a resolution which I'll read the presbytery of New Jersey of the Bible Presbyterian Church meeting in Audubon has had called to its attention that the Methodist Sunday School publication the adult teacher and the adult student devote a series of lessons to what they call extremism. 
The lesson of February 12th takes the American Council of Christian Churches, makes the American Council of which we're a member, its exhibit, and proceeds to attack and seeks to discredit Dr. McIntyre. This presbytery repudiates this lesson as being a calculated smear and a form of false accusation which the Bible so thoroughly condemns. The American Council of Christian Churches and Dr. McIntyre represent the same great common doctrines and faith which John Wesley subscribed to. And we would tell the Methodists that they have so departed from the faith that their own John Wesley, according to their present standards, would be similarly abused and rejected. They use Sunday school publications to attack men of God who are defending our faith and freedom is a perversion of an institution which was established to study the Bible. Moreover, this presbytery observes that the abuse which is heaped upon the American Council is the same line being now used today in political circles which may be found in the liberal and also the leftist press. This presbytery has before it the answer which Dr. McIntyre has given for use in the Methodist churches on February the 12th. And we commend to all Methodists his reply for their consideration. Finally, the use of Sunday school material. This use of Sunday school material is evidence of the 20th century apostasy. We call upon our Methodist brethren to reject this assault and their Sunday school teachers who refuse to teach it. Sons of thunder. And beloved, you've listened tonight to a free pulpit in a free land. That's what you've heard. And may God take these facts, may God take these issues, and please, beloved, I don't know who a lot of you people are. You're some strangers here tonight. Please, beloved, hear the word of God. Oh, if we could have a revival like the spirit of John Wesley. How he left the Episcopal Church and they went into the fields, they went into the town squares, they locked the doors of the churches to John Wesley. And out of that great revival, the evangelical revival of that, of that 18th century, England was saved from revolution. And the whole western world had the benediction of the Wesleys and the Whitfields. And out of it came this great Methodist church in our country today, which is now turned away from the message of John Wesley. And they're using their Sunday school publications to seek to discredit men like Dr. McIntyre, who believes and preaches the same blood of Christ, the same regeneration, the same program. And the Methodists come and say, well, Wesley, he was interested in the poor. And they come and say, Wesley's uh, diary says he was interested in hospitals. Wesley was interested in medicine. He was interested in the hospitals. He was interested in the poor, but he wasn't interested in the state doing the job for him. He was interested in the Christian church, assuming its obligation and its responsibility for the poor. And beloved, whether you know it or not, the great Methodist movement, nearly all of it in the beginning, with few exceptions, was among the poor people. It was the poor of England that Wesley reached. 
It was the people who had little of this world's goods. And when Wesley was clocked out of the churches and the doors of the Anglican church were closed to him, and he was forced to go out and get an independent ordination, and then he began his great movement of the Spirit of God, it came up out of the poor. The poor had the gospel preached of them. And many were saved. Now, do you people tonight believe this gospel? Do you people believe the thing that John Wesley believed in? I do. Do you want to see Christian churches preserved in this country in the spirit and the succession of a John Wesley? It's being done today in the American Council of Christian Churches. Now, some of you people, I'm going to close, but they say, well, I like to go to a church where the preacher preaches the Bible and he doesn't talk about these things like Dr. McIntyre does. All right, you just go to one of them and stay there and sleep. You just go to one of them and dry up and be dead. You just go to one of them, if you will, and the liberals and the rest of the crowd will take away your money, they'll take away your liberty, they'll take away your country, and before you know it, they will have carried your nice little sleepy church into some great communist society. And then you can wake up and say, I've enjoyed my sleep. Beloved, get into churches where there are preachers who are taking the word of God and making the application of these great things to the issues of your hour and to the great struggle of our day. I'm not interested in being a part of a church that's going to close its eyes and hide its head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend there's nothing happening in our day. I'm interested in being in a church and with all who want to come and stand in that church washed in the blood, standing for the truth, unashamed of the gospel, speaking out against sin like a son of thunder. Let us pray. Our Father, bless the message, bless the people, bless the...